Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Today, it's my pleasure to have as a guest, a longtime friend, Kevin Dorsey. I'm going to refer to him as KD. He is the VP of Inside Sales at Patient Pop. Best way to understand what they do is that they help good doctors get found by the patients that need them. So welcome to the show, Kevin. Hey, excited to be here, Jeremy. Excited to be here. Yeah. So today we're going to have a, a chat about sales compensation and some of the more exotic ideas out there that either we've collectively or individually tried, as well as just things we've heard about. But before we get there, the first question is to share what your favorite sales or leadership book of all time was and why that book was so influential to you. I got to go Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. There's a lot of good shit that's come out recently, but that that's the one that changed my whole perspective, not only on selling, but just even my own personal development. But like, you know, what a man thinketh he can't achieve. That's what spurred my whole growth. So I, I got to say that's my favorite, I guess, book of all time. If we're going sales leadership, sales manager survival guide, David Brock. It's mandatory reading for all of my managers, all of my potential managers. Um, that, that's been one that I've read probably 30, 40 times now. I always think I've read everything. I've uh, read the first one. I've, I think it's hard to have missed that one and, and how to win friends and influence people, right? Those classic classics. So the sales manager survival guide, I'm definitely aware of it. I got to put that on the list because I, my favorite sales manager book is the Cracking the Sales Management Code. Mm-hmm. That's my number two, Jason Jordan. Those are the two books that are on each one of my manager's desks right now. Well, that's on my reading list for the weekend as a sales manager survival guide. What's the first thing, if you wind the clock back on your life, that you ever remember selling? There's two that pop into mind. One was baseball cards, but there was a, yeah, there was a contest in school. I don't even remember what grade I was in, but like you could earn tickets and buy things. And then you could either buy things for yourself or you could buy things that other people use. So like you like save up tickets and buy the pencil sharpener and then you could charge people for the pencil sharpener. And so I remember like saving up as many tickets and like actually selling baseball cards to get more tickets so I could buy the drinking fountain. And so I bought the drinking fountain and then I would charge everyone two tickets to use the drinking fountain. And I had the most tickets. And so I could like buy like bubble gum and then I would buy the bubble gum with tickets and then sell it to people on the playground. So I guess I've been selling and hustling for a long time. Yeah, it's just uh, very true. Wow. I, you know, you took that to another level. Let's transition into sales compensation. I mean, obviously a lot of places to go, Anything that you've seen lately or been thinking about that you want to start out with? More and more, I believe commissions are played out. I really do. I don't believe that they actually create the behavior that everyone thinks that they do. I believe commission plans lead to lazy management where managers are hoping that the comp plan gets the behaviors that they want. And I also think it doesn't allow reps to truly do what they're supposed to do, which is sell in the best interest of the person they're talking to. So I am really looking into how I can lower commissions, increase bases, because I think it'll lead to not only better results, but also better culture, better people, better lives for the people on my team. So let's start there. I'm going to throw that one out there and see what you got. I like that one. It actually ties very closely to a conversation I had recently with the CRO and VP of sales at a company called Bamboo HR. And the CRO, I think, had previously come from Pluralsight and in both places had enacted what they refer to as a commissionless comp plan. We host a dinner every month here in New York for sales off customers and prospects. And last night I threw that out at two people. They were both sales managers and they were like, whoa, I, I can't imagine that. 
let's talk about the lazy management thing first, I guess, is, you know, why does a commission-based comp plan cause lazy management? You said you told it to two managers and they were afraid. Think about that real quick. The fact that they were even afraid that their people would not behave the way that they're supposed to without a commission-based plan means they're not managing their people well. That lets me know everything I need to know. I did the same thing. I was at a conference, I think about a year ago, there was like a dinner and like someone asked like, you know, throw out like the most wildest thing you can think of. I threw that out there. People lost their shit. Like you could never do that. And it's like, why? What other profession pays their people like this, but also sees these results? If commission plans worked, would 65% of reps be hitting quota? If they worked, if they got the behavior that everyone says that they do, why as an industry, 40% of people still not even get there? Is the counter argument from a salesperson's perspective, though, that the company just ratcheted quotas too high? For instance, I was chatting with another customer of ours recently, and I was asking them what percentage of their folks were hitting quota. And they said that quota attainment was down. And then my next question was, did you just adjust quotas at the beginning of your fiscal year? And they said, oh, yeah, we just raised quotas. So it's like their reps were already working at basically their productive capacity. Mm-hmm. And then they just artificially raised quotas. So it's no surprise that they're not able to, to hit the higher quota. Well, to me, though, it's not just about quota, right? Like you have a large sales team you oversee. It's about behavior. Does the majority of your team do the things they are supposed to do on a day in and day out basis? forget quota for a second. Do they do the things they're supposed to do day in and day out? And if you talk to a lot of sales leaders, most of them are going to say, well, not really. Like I still got to fight to get them to do the things that they're supposed to do. Isn't that what commission plans are supposed to incentivize? They're very outcome-based, right? That they assume that you will do the right thing in the service of the end goal, which is booking revenue. But what would you classify as the right things to do? What are those things? So, I mean, we can walk through them. Are they always making their dials? Are they adding enough people into their sales loft cadences? Are they doing their training? Are they role playing? Are they prepared for their one-on-ones, right? Like all the things that go into a salesperson's job, most managers spend most of their time trying to get people to do what they should already know how to do. Yeah, but I guess they're not necessarily doing them. So mm-hmm. if you had a commissionless comp plan, as you said, the managers would have to not be lazy anymore. They'd have to change their their ways. Mm-hmm. What would you have to train managers to be able to do? And what expectations would you have to set of managers for the way they change their management style? So I think one, it's raising expectations. You have a rep that has what I was called a, a 50K base and a 50K commission plan, whatever, right? So they have 100K OT, 50-50. That rep is producing 50% of their quota. So people believe like that the punishment is there enough that they're not getting paid as much. Let's say they have a 20% compensation cost of sales, which is pretty common in SaaS, right? Mm-hmm. So they got a 500K yeah. quota, so they're doing like 250. Yeah, right. So we've, we've got that person. And then you have the person that's hitting 100% and they're getting 100% of their OTE. Now, as a company, companies still hold on to that first rep because they're not costing the company as much money. So it's okay. If that rep was costing the company the same amount of money as the rep who was hitting quota, don't you think the company would view it differently? Don't you think they would invest more in their people if they knew what they were gonna have to pay that person to be there? I could also then hold my managers accountable to budgeting. Hey, you have a team of 10. 
they're all making the same. And I say that in quotes, we'll get into that. Like there's, there's, I'm going to pay for overperformance. Don't anyone who's freaking out right now, calm down. I'll be there. <laughs> but if they knew like that rep that was getting 250 was being paid damn near the same as the rep doing a hundred percent, they wouldn't keep them or they would level them up faster. That's why I think this not only empowers managers, but it also makes sure that they're doing the right things. There isn't another industry that pays their people this way. There is not where it's like, oh, you have to do your work to get 50% of your pay. Nurses show up every day and do their job because it's, they're a nurse. Lawyers show up and do their job because it's their job. Doctors show up, teachers show up, and they're paid to do their job. Let's say that half your reps are at 50%, half your reps are at 100%, which basically means half your reps are earning 100, half your reps are earning 75 because they got their 50 base and one's getting halfway there. So you're in that 87.5 average. Mm -hmm. So like, what if you paid everyone 87.5? And now here's the problem, which is that all the reps who would earn less than 87.5 stick around. And then all the reps who would earn over 87.5 bail on you. That's the concern with that sort of strategy. For sure. And that's what the next step in this is, is I will always pay for overperformance. Always. There's bonus plans in place. If you're overperforming, I'm going to pay you more than the person who is not. So it's not that we just pay everyone the same. It's that 50% of their pay isn't based on just getting to their goal. Just like, hey, you have to perform just to get half of your paycheck every single year. I don't believe is right. I have a rep right now, man, she just crushed. She hit like 200% of her goal. So I'm going to pay her like she paid 200% of her goal. I'm going to reward her. I'm going to shout her name from the rooftop. She's going to get a big check from it. The people at 200% aren't the problem. It's the middle. It's that 100% mark that matters. And I would love to be able to sit across from a rep and say, hey, guess what? Your OTE on the 50-50 plan was 100K. Now your base is 90K. Go hit your quota. They've got much more income stability. And that 10% is then tied to MBOs. Is that where you're going with the other 10%? Yeah, we can build it into over performance plans and things like that. You know, there's a lot of things that are off with professional sports, but I really like these contracts that people send. The more successful you've been, what do you get rewarded with? The commission plans are built for over performers, but as an industry, only 10 to 15% of salespeople are over performers. So I'm not that worried about that profile. Right? If she wants to go make 400K somewhere else because I can only get her to 300K, God bless her. I'm okay with that. But the, the people in the middle, I actually think performance goes up if I pay them more to do their job, but I'm still going to reward my top reps. They gave me a year of crushing quota. Not only did they make their money, right? they, they made their money because I paid for overperformance, but now they get a new contract with a little bit of a signing bonus and they're making more every single day than the person next to them because of their history. I think that's a great model. What frequency would you think you'd have to update your contract? I like yearly. I wanted to get at your thing where also about like if that person could earn 400K somewhere else and your plan would pay out at 300, a lot of times it's those whale hunters that actually are the ones who help you hit your overall number as a business. Mm -hmm. Those are precisely the people you don't want to lose. I should think. So it depends on your business. Actually, Jocko talked about this, Jocker Vanderkuji, who wrote all like the SaaS blueprints. Anyone listening, go read all of those. 
he talked about having the difference between a superstar culture and a rock star culture. If the only reason you're hitting quota is because of your superstars carrying the bag, you don't have a good system in place. March of this year is actually a perfect example. Inside team here, they had never hit this number before. And the beauty of this was if I took my top performer out, we still hit goal. Your top performers shouldn't be what gets you to goal. Your top performers are what should get you to 125%, 150% of goal. That's when you have a good org structure. So I'm trying to build comp plans. I'm trying to build training and systems and processes that my 80% get me to goal. And then my top 20% are what take me to 150, 170 and things like that. Do I want to lose her? Of course not. Of course not. I want her as long as I can. But also, too, where would she rather go? Hey, with me, your base is 200K and you get 100 on your bonus plan to get to 300 or you go someplace else and your base is 150 and you got to go make 350 on top of it to get to 400. That's up to the individual. The CFO might argue, yes, comp plans are designed to provide strong incentives to outperform. But the flip side of it is that a commission-based comp plan is also designed to lower the risk on a bad hire, right? So like that 50-50 person, if they're just a complete dud and don't close any business, which does every once in a blue moon happen, then you're not out 100K. I mean, obviously you can get rid of them at some point, but if it takes you a while with a longer sales cycle, you're out a lot less money. So how do you cover that? The first part of it is back to what we talked about early on, is having a higher standard of expectations. You don't keep people around that aren't meeting the standards that you expect, right? If you're building a comp plan to protect the company, that's a problem. It means you are okay or assuming people are going to fail. Under this type of plan, you will move people out faster because they are not doing their job that they are being paid to do. You have a higher standard. This is what you're paid to do. Go do this. So that's one. The second part of this, though, is why do we think salespeople are different? Why are salespeople more risky than an accountant? Like who else in this company wakes up and goes, okay, I have to go do my job to get paid. There's bad hires everywhere, but they all get paid. Do you think there's a difference between people who are in the office, quote unquote, as opposed to field, right? They're in the office at their desk. Managers are walking around MBWA, management by walking around. Mm -hmm. Yep. But in contrast, field salespeople, a lot of times they they don't have an office, right? They work out of their mm -hmm. home and you don't really know what they're doing, right? It's it's hard to know what they're doing. And, and a lot of companies are not really super compliant in their CRM tracking. So you don't know what they're doing. All you know is that they drop an op into the system. Man, I'm glad you just said that because that's happening right now with the incentive plans and they still behave that way. On this note, let's take a real example. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we have a customer who I was talking to they are having the hardest time holding their SDRs accountable to a minimum call target, whatever it is, 40, 50, 60 calls per day. There's no known penalty other than getting a scowl from the management team. If you were to apply this in the SDR world and they're not in any kind of a commission-based plan, how do you get them to do their basic activities? But that's the thing, though. They're not paid for those things right now anyway. The comp plan is separate from the behaviors. They're not doing their dials, but they're also not paid to do their dials. They don't get a dollar per dial. Daniel Pink wrote about this in Drive. I'm sure you've read that one too. Absolutely. Yep. When it comes to tasks that require cognitive ability, 
incentivizing them with money performance goes down. It is studied. It's a fact. The only place that incentive-based compensation plans worked was manual labor. What I'm trying to say here is I'm starting to believe more and more I should pay someone to do their job, not make someone do their job to get paid because then they feel it's more optional. It's harder to look at me and say, oh, like I'm already at my number, so I don't need to do these things. No, you're being paid to do this. I've given first. It's time for you to give back. I'm kind of tired of asking reps to give to me first to get what they believe they've already earned. Yeah. And I think your top people are conscientious, they're intelligent, they're highly skilled, they care about their personal achievement. There's that deep intrinsic motivation. They're going to work hard no matter what. They're money motivated, but it doesn't have to be like the thrill of the kill, I guess, to use the old sales cliche. I wish more people would realize this too, what small percentage of people are actually money motivated. Everyone says they want money but very few percent of people are truly money motivated. I think it's in like the three to 7% range, truly have money as their motivator. And guess what? Most of those people actually aren't in sales. They did something else. So yes, everyone wants money, but like Jeremy, you've been in this game long enough to see how hard it is to get people to do the things they're supposed to do that would lead to getting them money. People don't make decisions off money. They just don't. They want it. But most people don't. The woman that I'm talking about on my team, she is. She is money motivated. Like she's like straight up is waking up every single day. Like how do I make as much money as possible? And her behavior shows it. Let's say you do this, right? And and all of a sudden you shift over from the commission base to a a commission light or commission list plan. What's to stop people from getting lazy? This is the big worry, right? Is if you make this change, how do you make sure you don't fall off the rails in terms of your overall company hitting its its performance targets? If I walked out there tomorrow and took everyone's base from 65 to 95, I hope they start to slack. I would love that because I would get them off my team because it means I don't have the right people. That's what I'm saying. And I don't believe that would happen for the majority. Are there some people that could take advantage of it? Yes. But if they also knew they're being held to a higher standard now and truly could lose their job, the new job, it just gave them a 95K base instead of 65K. If they do that, then that's on them. And it means they weren't the right person for my team. I believe performance would go up. They're not worried about paying their bills. They're not worried about a comp plan. They're not worried about gaming something. They can live. They can enjoy their job. In the past 16 years of my life, I have not woken up and know what my paycheck's going to look like. Which is terrifying and unnecessarily stressful. I'm in a place in life now that I'm okay. I love what I do. I love my team here. But I also remember what it was like having a 30K base. I remember that. And you are scared. That deal doesn't come in. You are worried about making your car payment next month. I had a daughter. And if you think fear motivates people to do the right things, I think there's also enough science that shows that it doesn't. It immobilizes you. You make worse decisions. You don't listen. You press. What's the number one complaint about salespeople? That they are pushy, that they don't listen, and they're aggressive. That's our own goddamn fault because we made them go into a position where they are afraid of not making money. That's our own fault. Every salespeople who's listening to this right now will tell you they sell the best when they don't need it. It's when you can sit back, put your feet up and listen to the person you're talking to and sell to them for the right reasons. 
I think performance goes up under this. I really do. And my biggest fear is I'm never going to be able to get to test it because it's so out there that it's hard to get a company on board with. We'll get you to CRO yet somewhere. Uh, right. When, well, even then, you might scare the crap out of your CFO. So you still got work to do. I got a glimpse of this. I got to test it. So I built out an LDR team, right? Like a team that like, you know, is qualifying like accounts and things like that. And guess what? I paid them their base. There was no commission. There was bonuses for overperformance. If you overachieved in terms of the amount of like opportunities you were able to qualify and things like that, you got bonuses on top. And guess what they did every day, Jeremy? The same hard work that they had always done, probably. They did their job. They showed up and they did their job. They didn't know what the bonus was going to be, right? That was to be determined. Oh, no. No, they, they knew the bonus. They knew what to strive for. They knew if they got to like some of the accelerators, what that would be. And guess what? About 20% of them got to the accelerators. The rest did not. But what I didn't see with this team was the bottom. Damn near every single person was in that range of like 85 to 100%. I didn't have the bottom in that. And they weren't stressed. They could pay their rent. They could pay their bills. They could go have a drink with their friends and not worry about it. I think this is the future, man. I really do. I do think a way to introduce this, by the way, is is you don't have to do it with the entire sales organization at once. Oh God, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is which is terrifying and you need to you need some iterations to learn. But you could certainly take like one team, right? Take a manager and their team, his or her team, and do it with that one team. Mm-hmm. And I understand there are people out there that still would rather take the risk and go make more. I understand that. But imagine if as a company, I had that as an option. Hey, new rep I'm about to hire. Here's your options. OTE of 90. Well, that's your base. You get it all guaranteed with overperformance or an OTE of 110, but your base is 55. Now you get to pay. And I'm fine with that because now it's a choice. Now I would still, depending on the person, want to know their track record. What makes you believe you can go do that? Other than just that you want the more money, but I believe the majority. And when I say majority, I don't mean 51%. I mean like 75, 80% of people would take the security route over the risk route. To the point of where we started this is that your management style for the person who's sort of risk averse and wants more income security is going to actually have to be in different, if not better management, but much more on top of all those things that we started with, right? Like much more on top of dials, much more on top of follow-up, much more on top of the data in CRM, much more on top of role play, right? Versus the other manager who who is not, or just different. I would disagree there. The management style, just because you're on the risk doesn't mean you have more leeway to do things your own way. It's not permission to go figure it out on your own. I'm still gonna hold you to the same standards. I'm still going to press you to the same things. This is not a, okay, well, this is the let you be plan. And this is the, I'm going to manage you plan. I'm still going to hold you accountable to the exact same things. It doesn't matter to me, right? And this is now we're getting more. So again, into like how you build a team. If you've got five sales reps, all right. Like you got some out there kind of doing it willy nilly. That's fine. My squad's 70 deep now. I can't have that. I manage my top performers to almost the exact same expectations as I manage my bottom. And you earn the right to get more flexibility, but not a lot. Like you can't just make 
10 dials when I expect everyone else to make 60 dials because you're my top performer. Like that's not how it works with me. They still need to do the work. And they set a bad example for the rest of the team that if they're doing 10 dials and everyone else is supposed to do 50 and you give them a pass just because they're hitting quota, you're, you're destroying your system. That's when I'll raise quota. Right. You're able to get to 100% of your quota working four hours a day. Okay. Well, let me double that quota up real quick. And I'll pay you more for it too, right? Like, and I'll, I'll pay, yeah, I'll pay you more for it. I will pay you more. You're delivering more. I will pay you more. But I've talked about this with my team and my team knows it, right? I am not an activity hound. I'm an efficiency hound. It's not about the 80 dials for 80 dials. It's about the 80 dials because you can. If you're working efficiently, you can make that many dials. If you're going to work for eight hours a day, here's how much I believe you can produce in eight hours a day. Now skill is what takes you to the other level. I might be better on my calls than you are, but you're still going to give me that, that time. Now, if you show me something else you could be doing with your time that is more efficient, I'm down to hear that. Well, hey, KD, I don't want to make 60 dials. I want to make 40 dials, but I'm going to replace those 20 dials with five Vidyard videos. And I believe I can produce the same amount of that. Then we can talk about it because now you're talking about working efficiently still in a day. That's what matters to me is the efficiency. Are you giving me eight hours of work? I tried to throw out every objection that I could come up with. Is there any objection anyone's lobbed at you that we didn't go through today on, the, on that sort of a plan? The biggest ones are always, well, like, well, then where's their motivation to do their job? Or what if they slack off? Or how will we make sure that they're hitting their numbers? And that's where I keep coming back and saying, well, one, why do we believe salespeople are that different? Programmers make a lot of money. Are they paid 50% on the amount of code they write and the quality of it? I talked about this, I think, last year, like more and more of like my reading and studying is on people, not salespeople, because we all, for the most part, have brains and most of them all respond the same way to certain stimuli. The fact that we treat an entire industry differently than the rest should let us know something is wrong. Why don't we have to pay teachers half of their pay based on their student scores? And in fact, when that happened, what happened? I know the Chicago school, public school system was doing that. And that was just, there was cheating all over the place, really bad behavior. So wait a minute, those are teachers. Those are the ones with the highest moral ground. Those are the ones taking care of our kids. And even they gamed this system. Yeah, doctors too, right? That they had to put in, yeah, same deal. We have so many examples outside of sales of what happens when you start to incentivize people to do their job versus paying them to do their job. And then combine that with the main reason most salespeople don't do a lot of the things that they're supposed to is fear and insecurity. If I can take at least the financial fear and the financial insecurity away, and our conversations can truly always be on how to do your job. That's what's so hard about what someone's on like a PIP. If someone's on a PIP, it means they're underperforming. But that also means they're underperforming and they're not making money. So how on earth does that person work their way off a PIP when they're also afraid they're going to pay rent next month? It only compounds the problem. I agree completely. I think this is one where... The hardest objection to face here is, again, fear of what's unknown and the idea that salespeople are different. Once as an industry and honestly, like as a nation, we stop seeing salespeople as so different than everyone else. We would never imagine to do this to a teacher. We would never imagine to do this to a coder. We would never imagine to do this. Even, even executives, even the CFO isn't paid this way. 
Well, as usual, both entertaining as well as deeply provocative conversation <laughs> with you. I just love for you to share, assuming you're willing to help people follow up and ask you questions or connect with you. How should they do that? Yeah. Um, find me on LinkedIn, Kevin Dorsey, patient pop. So find me on LinkedIn, hit me up, shoot me a message. I'm happy to talk about this further. And if there's people out there, I want to, if you could put me in touch with bamboo and if you know of people starting to go this route, I'd love to talk to them. Well, again, thanks, Kevin. And for those who want to connect with him, make sure to connect with him on LinkedIn. Definitely follow him. I, I love to follow Katie's content. Once again, he is VP of Inside Sales at Patient Pop. Once again, I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Laura Hall is our executive producer. Our artwork is by Greg Klinkshern. This episode was edited by Peter Lopinto. Subscribe to us on your favorite app to learn more immediately actionable best practices from our awesome guests. Thank you for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.